Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a new edition of Pod by the Bay, proudly presented by the Bay Area Examiner. I'm your host, Nathan Bond, joined alongside Seth Farnador, Robert Stieg, and Anthony Vito. Um, guys, let's jump into it. Busy, busy podcast ahead. Um, USF completed their fifth day of fall camp. Uh, as we gear up toward year one with head coach Alex Golish at the helm. Uh, Seth, you and I were out at practice on Saturday morning. It was uh, tough to find parking, not because of the clamoring of media members uh, at practice, but because it was graduation weekend. Um, So lots of folks on campus for that. Um, We kind of had it all to ourselves. Um. General thoughts, what would you feel about uh, practice? And then we'll kind of get into Coach Golis' comments uh, at his weekly press conference here on Monday. Yeah, I thought thought, uh, practice was lively. I think the first thing we heard as soon as we walked through the gate was like an an MF bomb from across the field. So that's always like get you right back in the mood, right? Um, So, uh, yeah, no, I thought it was – we didn't get to see a ton. We got to see a little bit of – uh, O-line, D-line, one-on-one, got to talk to some people, um, saw you know a couple guys on the exercise bike that you didn't know maybe uh, you know nursing some ailments, and those are on the Ponderosa and the Insider Discord. If you're $5 a month on Patreon, you get access to that um, if you want to know who was on the exercise bike. But, you know, I thought it was, it was good. We didn't get to see a ton of offensive stuff. We got to see a little bit of how the defense was going to align where they were running through some things. So um, have, I think I have a better idea of what they're trying to do on defense offensively. Um, nothing too crazy, but it was good to see some O-line, D-line interaction, some good nature trash talk, and then the coaches not letting it devolve into like fighting, letting guys mm-hmm. get after it and be competitive but not fight, which is a big waste of time. So um, right. we didn't get to see a ton, but what we got to see I, I, was, I was pleased with. I thought it was, thought it was good stuff. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I'll be out there at practice on Tuesday. It's the first fully padded day, so they're going to be clapping pads. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I I am uh, uh, anticipating a lot of energy from from these guys who are just been kind of clamoring for an opportunity, and uh, hopefully, um, who was it? Uh, was it Rashad White who just got absolutely blown up the other day at Bucks practice? Some running back get absolutely oh, yeah. annihilated, and it basically caused a fight. Um, so hopefully, there's not that. Um, you know, kind of protect your own. There's only there's only so many scholarship players to go around. Let's not uh, get hurt before we start. Uh, Steve Vito, welcome in. I know Seth and I were just kind of recapping, right? I want to make sure you guys join the conversation, um, Steve. I, I, Pretty sure you got a chance to listen to head coach Alex Golish's comments from his Monday presser. Um, first kind of thoughts. I know you had a, a pretty funny quip about a coach speak that I thought was probably pretty apt for this time of year that we should probably uh, always remember. Right. And, and, and the key of it all is, you know, for press conferences in, in the fall and the spring, it's, it's like you mentioned, it's coach speak. They're, they're giving you exactly what you want to hear uh, you know, as reporter, as media is, you know, they're not going to get up there and be like, well, crap guys, D 
defense looked terrible today. You know, our defensive line, it's got so many problems. You know, that's just kind of what, what coaches do. You know, they, they'll talk about the highlights. They'll talk about the goods, the, the goods, the greats, and the really greats. And it was kind of evident today in, in Golish's press conference. But that's probably a better thing because I I don't know if you guys were getting the same vibe as I was, you know, during the uh, the previous press conferences. He almost seemed like down on himself a little bit, like, you know, kind of having to temper the expectations of everyone saying, you know, we're not going to be very good. You know, we've got a lot to do. We've got a lot of this. We got a lot of that. This was the first time he was kind of like, yeah, today was really good today. Like he looked like he was excited to actually like talk about some of the players for the first time. You know, he went in extensive detail talking about, um, you know, the tight end group, the, the wide receivers, the running backs and, you know, how they were playing and everything. And, and he, he seemed excited for the progress that they had been making, which sounds weird to say from like a coach, but you know, what he was giving us before was like, Oh yeah. You know, we, we, you know, we did pretty good, but we made some mistakes and, you know, we're going to see how things are and we, we see how things shake out. But he, I mean, he had glowing reviews for like everyone. I mean, he, he was talking about walk-ons, uh, you know, making plays and doing some big things. Uh, shout out Colin Affleck on the tight end group. You know, I, that's, that's kind of unheard of for what we have been come to expect from Golish at this point. So um, yeah, it, it was definitely an interesting uh, press conference he gave today. I thought it was interesting how many guys it seemed like they had missing for parts of spring is one thing. It, it, it was <laughs> right. like, it, it seemed like he'd mentioned a guy, every other guy he mentioned was like, yeah, we didn't have him fully for spring or we only had him for part of spring or he didn't finish spring. Or, so I think that's part of the excitement too, is maybe he's got some knock on wood, some more health relatively across the team. And he's able to kind of see what more of these guys can do, which could lead to him being happy depending on you know who it is. Right. And uh, the old adage, you know, all returning production is not great returning production. So he's got to hope there's some vast improvement with coach when, you know, coaching him up and, uh, you know, self player development. I think he uh, coming in and, you know, he harped on the, the seven offensive scholarship offensive alignment and uh, the people we talked to around the program um, over the, over the weekend. And he, kind of mentioned it today, you know, he, he's pretty pleased with where the offensive line can be. Um, a lot of transfers uh, at that position for sure. You know, Zen Herring uh, from Florida state, who's played a lot of football. Um, he's going to be a guy and, and Vito, I know your, your family's Florida state ish adjacent. So I figured, you know, kind of talk to, talk to me about the, the offensive line, what you think, could could be, um, and do you feel like it? They they have the depth to kind of roll out any kind of five and uh, actually be pretty productive after they having to replace four guys from last year's offensive line. Yeah, I mean, uh, so yes, brother and uh, wife both Florida State grads, so definitely runs in the family. Um, the I, I was shocked to hear that about the offensive line. I mean, uh, when we wrote the article in spring, it was just a lot of newcomers, a lot of trying to figure out how you're going to fit the pieces back together, who's going to go where, who's going to be be there for spring practice, who's going to be there for fall. And the fact that they've, I, I mean, they're they're flipping guys around. They seem like they have a good group that they that they can kind of move in any direction. And I mean, especially in this offense, when you're just trying to protect the quarterback. Um, as quickly as possible. It's really great to have versatility. So that was a, sh a shock to me to hear that, but I like to hear that early on. Um, you kind of figure the skills never really going to be uh, the problem in the skill positions um, on this team. So 
um, being able to get some consistency on the offensive line. I mean, Mike uh, Lofton being at center, that's, mm-hmm. that's crazy to me. I would not have expected that. So good to really see that. And, you know, you take it with a grain of salt, what they're saying. We don't, we don't know what we're seeing. It could be, Hey, we're going to say that just to kind of fire guys up and maybe it's not as good as we think it is, but uh, I, I, I'm really happy about that. I mean, uh, hopefully we can kind of get some guy. I mean, hopefully we can kind of get some depth. That's always been the problem is one guy goes down, you start shifting over and then that ends up being a whole domino effect. So uh, yeah, look, I mean, looking forward to it at, at see what, um, um, what group can be there on day one. Uh, and it seemed like, uh, and we kind of talked about it at practice. They had a bunch of injuries last year on the offensive line. So there's a decent number of guys that got some snaps in live games last year, not including the transfers they brought in. RJ Perry, Looked really good in the practice we saw in one-on-ones. He kind of stonewalled some people. Uh, Bailey, I think, got a couple pretty good reps. Bowie had some good reps as well. And he seems like he's going to be a depth piece. So um, I think you feel pretty good, at least about the starting unit, the way they're talking about him. Like, but like Vito said it, you know, it could just be kind of trying to fire the boys up a little bit or, mm. or sending a message to other players. But um, those were guys that we kind of thought might – it seemed like the guys that – and Sean uh, put in the Discord who he thought maybe the top five might be based on what he's hearing and what he thinks. And it seemed like those were the five that got singled out by Golish when he talked about the offensive line today. So that kind of tracks, and that's kind of good to see maybe those guys that you think might be the more talented ones or the ones that are maybe separating from the pack. And in case anybody forgot, it's uh, Coach Hudenick, who is the former UCF offensive lineman who is the – uh, first-time offensive line coach, so um, maybe that pays dividends and and looks good for the future. But I always find fall camp be, to be more interesting than spring camp. I mean, you're closer to football for sure, but in spring, it just seems like you know if you're injured, you're gonna you're gonna lay off for it. For now, it's kind of like you're competing for a job. So, um, like I said, don't injure anybody, but it's kind of nice to see what who's actually on campus, who's competing, and who's looking uh, looking good on on film. Or not film, looking good on the field. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Mike Lofton kind of sl- you know, sliding over to center. Uh, Donovan Jennings, um, he's been kind of cross-training uh, inside at, at guard, um, which kind of tracks and makes sense um, when you bring a guy in like uh, RJ Perry, who's just a behemoth of a, of a man and kind of makes Dono look a little small. Um it's probably probably a good thing. I know Zane Heron's, uh I think they said he, they were looking at him at uh, left guard. So Donald probably right guard, backup left tackle, maybe starting right tackle. I think he'll he'll be a starter somewhere where he where he ultimately ends up is going to be uh, kind of interesting. I know um, Kohler said in the press conference on Monday uh, he's kind of hoping to you know start down the track of having some depth charts over the next couple oh, next week or so kind of figuring out where everything kind of fits. Um, so that, that'll, that'll be a lot of fun to, to see. I think, I believe it's next Thursday is their uh, first scrimmage uh, at Southeastern university over in Lakeland. Uh, so that'll definitely uh, give us a lot of information uh, about that. And uh, is there anything else from, you know, the press conference that kind of caught your eye, I'll open it to the floor, whoever wants to talk. And then, uh, you know, I've got a pretty explosive question to ask after this. I thought uh, it was good to see the mention of Trophy Brown. We saw him, uh, we heard he had a pretty good camp thus far, and then he made a really good one-handed catch 
um, that we talked about in the Discord uh, on Saturday morning. Uh, really good one-handed catch over the middle. He's a guy that has been one that I've thought from the beginning of uh, Golish's tenure. This is a guy that fits his offense if he's right because mm-hmm. he's just straight line speed go kind of guy. So if he can, if he's right and he's having a good camp, I think that really bodes well. And then um, you know there was a few receivers. It seemed like the receiver room's pretty competitive uh, based on what we heard from people when we were on uh, campus there. So. Uh, Naeem Simmons has made some plays. He looked really smooth. So that was the those the two the my two biggest question marks for the offense kind of going into the year with the offensive line in the in the receiver room. And you know, we, we haven't been able to see a ton, but uh hearing good things about g- both groups makes you feel a little bit better about the offense can kind of stay around where they ended up last year, which was a really, really good offense. I, I was both both of us oh. did the thing. Um, <laughs> no, so, uh, for me, at least, it was uh, you know Golish kind of segued into the running back room there for a second, and you know he he made sure to kind of you know give credit where credit was due. You know, talking about Naquan Wright, Kelly Joyner, Mikey Dukes, and the work that those guys are putting in. Uh, but man, he he sounded really excited about Dominic Ganella um, and, and kind of his path to coming to USF. You know, the big thing was that, you know, he they didn't really need another running back. Um, but Dominic apparently came in kind of talking like, hey, I want to be part of that culture. I want to bring, you know, some of the some of the grit, some of the grind that I got, you know, working at being a bell cow back in North Dakota State and also being in the you know minor league baseball system. You know, I, I think he probably brings a little bit of a different perspective in that running back room that you know, frankly, might need, um, you know, a, a leader of some sort to kind of step up and be that vocal guy. And, and Dominic Ganella seems like that kind of uh, piece, especially as a local guy. You know, he, mm-hmm. he sounded very excited to kind of have him in, in the mix, not necessarily as your feature back. You know, I think it's it's pretty obvious that Naquan Wright is going to be, you know, the dude back there. But, you know, you have an arsenal, you have a Swiss Army knife of running backs back there. It's just using those guys strategically in this up-tempo offense because you're not always – you know, it's not always in your best interest, you know, on, on a fourth down and short, you know, to sub out Daquan Wright for Dominic Canella or, you know, vice versa. It's not always in your best interest from a third down and 15 to make a sub there. Sometimes you just got to go fast. So I'm interested to see how they make all of that work, knowing that you have, you know, four running backs with four very different skill suits like that. Yeah, and Dominic Canella um, is the brother of former USF baseball player Anthony Ganella. Um, so there's a connection there to the area. He went to Bloomingdale. Um, and he's been playing baseball for the Arizona Diamondbacks for the last three, four years. Uh, he was just I think I think he's wrapped up uh, rookie I think rookie ball's wrapped up now. Um, mm-hmm. he played 12 games. Um, he hit 282 with a 391 on base percentage and slugged over 500. Uh, so his op his ops was uh 904 had two homers seven rbis and two still uh two stolen bases he needs to work on the strikeout numbers 16 strikeouts for uh to just four walks but uh he's the the culture guy right uh and, and Golish has kind of really harped on this like you you guys chose to stay you're my guys but it's really a reflection on okay you you're my guys, but I'm bringing people in and I'm putting my name on that. They're also our kind of guys. So I think he's, 
you know, culture is really emphasized, I think, in college football and in sports in general. Um, I wouldn't say the culture under the previous regime was terrible, just different. And I think he realizes that there needed to be a change of pace and he's putting his stamp on, on the culture guys. You need the glue guys. You know, it's not everybody can be LeBron James. You sometimes need, uh, you know, a Anderson Verjauer, you know, you don't Haslam at year 25, just kind of clapping off the bench. You know, everybody needs in Mark Madsen. Um, so that's kind of where, some of these guys will ultimately fit in. You need the towel waivers. You need the guys who are going to stand up on the bench during a football game. You're going to, you need those kind of players um, to, to add to your locker room. I think they're, it's at least going in the right direction. Here's the segue. What's not going in the right direction is college football, ladies and gentlemen. So it, as you may have heard Friday, <laughs> The Pac-12 imploded, just ceased to exist. It's now the Pac-4. Uh, Washington and Oregon are now in the Big Ten, uh, joining UCLA and USC. Uh, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah are now in the Big 12. And that leaves, what, Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State as the Pac-12 leftovers. Um with college football as we know it, kind of gone. I think I think it's pretty clear. This is there's no coming back from this. Um, Colin Sherwin over at a DK Network, DraftKings Network, um, had a great uh, article up over the weekend about how everybody did their job so great it killed college football, um, <laughs> which. It's a it's a fair thesis statement. I kind of want to bear this out a little bit with a USF uh, kind of angle. Uh, on Saturday, you know, was at practice talking to some folks, and I kind of mentioned, "Hey, uh, thank God they approved the three hundred million dollar on campus stadium uh, before before yesterday." And you know, kind of you know, chuckling like, "Yeah, this is kind of it's sad. This is kind of where the state of college football is." Um, and then went out to brunch on Saturday with Colin and some folks. And we were kind of talking about, I was like, yeah, that $300 million is a pretty hefty investment for the way college football is going. Um, now I fully admit this is half baked and it's a little hot takeish. I know it's only Monday when we're recording this, but you guys will hear it on Tuesday. So it's kind of a hot take Tuesday. Um, hashtag hot take Tuesday. Um, is it too late? to maybe pause or stop this $300 million investment on a college football stadium when the sport as we know it is absolutely changing and you will have no shot of ever competing for a national championship at this level in this current iteration. Would you, would you, if they had a stadium approved and all the same was happening and it was when the big East imploded, would you be saying the same thing? You think, or do you think the same, the same questions would get raised in the similar state? College football is dead as we know it; it's consolidating. I think no, because it wasn't as rapid as this, right? So you, for somehow, like Colorado is always the linchpin for this stuff, and I don't understand like what what's so special about Colorado that they just get to decide the trajectory of college football as we know it, seemingly. 
but with a conference that had been around for what close to a hundred years, just evaporating within two weeks. Leadership aside, like they were run. Well, this, I mean, this terribly. Been, yeah, I mean, this has been coming for you know years now. With the you know, it's it's sad, and I'll keep it more USF central. We can talk more about like the national cent- uh, centricity of it later on the blog boy round table. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sad, but you know, I think this is a thing where this is not the last realignment. I don't think this is even the big realignment today in his press conference, Billy Napier, Florida's head coach was asked about it. And he basically said, you know, they asked him, is this killing your childhood basically, you know, cause he's a kid that grew up in the South with all the regional football. And he was kind of like, listen, there's going to be another split coming here pretty soon. And it's going to be the schools that decide they want to invest money at a higher level. And then the schools that decide they want to kind of go with the older status quo. I think this is a, this is kind of the eventuality and, and what was going to be, what was going to happen as soon as kind of, um, and this isn't the place blame. This is just, I think the natural progression of things with once you start paying players, and once once you start deciding that players are going to have to get a cov- cut of revenue, well, where am I going to get that revenue? TV money. How can I get more TV money? This is how I have to chase that. So I think it's uh, almost an inevitability. Um, but I do think they're, in my opinion, this is what I've thought for, um, you know, at least a year, probably at least six months. I, I think we're going to get to a point where we get to three to four conferences of 20 teams. They'll split back up into regional into regional divisions. And you're basically trying to get in that 80. How can USF get in that 80? It's not by stopping the stadium. Your only chance to get in that 80, if you want to be in there, is to just do what you're doing, win some games. If you have this new stadium and you've been winning for, for the last two or three years going into it, you're now all of a sudden you're very attractive. If right. you if you decide you know what we're not going to build a stadium, then you're dead. It's over. You're you're basically you could be a one double A team when the split happens. Which yeah, I think even if you build a stadium, let's say you don't make the cut, there's still good football to be had, and I think it'll be obviously better than one double A because there'll be a little bit more tradition uh, on television, bigger brands. But there will still be college football, just be a little bit different. But the college football that the second tier might be taking place in is the more traditional model we're all used to. So I don't think it Mm – I I think you're kind of fine either way. That's how I feel. Now, if you want a chance to the big prize, you've got to invest because that's what they're looking at. Are you investing? That's why I think the Pac-12 died. They don't care about football. Really, they don't. Not as much as other regions of the country. Yeah, the, that's the, the, the conference of championships, not college football of or conference of college yeah, football which championships, is, which, which is, is fantastic. You know, yeah, it's great, but this is kind of what happens, right? Right, and and I think for USF at least, and and you know, harking back, it's you know, this is kind of the precursor to when college football decided to promote scholarships uh, to kind of make that split. So we're kind of at that alleyway right now where it's kind of like, are you going to invest or are you going to not invest? And, and it's finding that way. But for, for USF, at least, you know, we egg, we egged on USF for the longest time for sitting on their butts 
and not making the moves and not taking the risks and doing the things that they needed to do when playing it safe. And Hey, we're number two in the country. This is great. And everything like that. So this is their chance to finally stick their neck out and do something. But even if it doesn't work out in their favor, say they end up like in Seth's uh, scenario and that, you know, not quite making the cut, you're, you're still investing in something that's going to do more for the campus and more for athletics as a whole than, than not. And instead of just keeling over and, and just saying, you know what, sunk cost, bye bye, we're we're done with this. You know, the the, the mm-hmm. women's lacrosse team is gonna, you know, be able to play in it. You're you're gonna be able to attract multiple events that you can lease out and, and do more things and get you know alumni back on campus for a specific reason. I mean, you look across like Division Two, II, Division Three, FCS, and everything. They still have great attendance numbers. They still have great support. They still have all these great things, even though they don't necessarily get all the big benefits that you get at FBS with the scholarship counts and, you know, million dollar donations. But I I think for USF, you have to continue onward regardless of, of what's going on around you. You still have to, you know, proposition yourself to be very attractive. You have to be a peacock. You have to lay out all the feathers. You have to be as beautiful as you possibly can, knowing that you don't have any legs under you because you've only won four uh, collegiate football games in the last three years, which frankly, I don't think should matter too much, but you still have to do this because if you don't, I'm going to give you crap for laying in your bed again, even though you had the opportunity to do something great again, for right. like the 15th time, it's like falling in your lap over and over and over again. Yeah, and Yale, I, Yale and Penn both have 60,000 seat stadiums. Right. Like there's, And I fully admit like they can't, they can't, back on this like this no. is not like it it would be like the actual death blow to the program and probably athletics in general would just because you're throwing your hands up and saying hey but i think i think we do have to acknowledge man once again usf's timing just impeccable impeccable timing. and like if there's if they didn't have bad timing they'd have no timing at all if this was 2016, 2016 is a whole different story, but you do it now. Um, pretty much Steve said it was right though. This can't, this has to be a whole, it's a campus wide thing. You're looking at it to help your campus out with events. You obviously two sporting, uh, both football and lacrosse, um, anything that might possibly come in. You don't know if any minor league pro, uh, like teams are going to come through. Um, you either have the money or you don't. So if you don't, then you're doing this. How, but if you have the money and you're already going through it, you have to make sure it does happen. Uh, like you said, it's it, money's already in the design process and all, all of that at this point. So there's no really pulling back. And right. just one off season of realignment shouldn't really change, change that idea. Cause no one really knows what's going to end up happening. Um, I kind of think what Seth said is correct. There's going to be that break off and there's going to be some people who are currently in the power five now or power, whatever autonomous five that can't write that check that will have to then go back quote unquote down a level, but, um, but things are going to cha- change a lot. Exactly. There's going to be some reshaking. Um, and you don't know when that's going to happen. So at, at that point, just try to make something that's going to help you and your campus. I mean, now you're an AAU, you, AAU university, you can hang your hat on that. Now you're going to focus on athletics. Um, and the Steve's point, winning only four games does matter, but at this point you have a new regime. So it's like, Hey, yeah, we noticed that's bad. We're fixing it or attempting to fix it. Now it's up up to uh, Coach Golish to to do that, and I like to think that the way that everything's going right now, um, he has some ideas that we don't know, um, and there's definitely plans for that to happen, and there's 
players, and you'll talk about later in the recruiting episode, um, that are buying into that. At least that's what it seems. This is some really good stuff from Coach. Um, just... I don't know, man. A nine or ten win season would do this uh, program freaking r- wonders in rocket fuel if they could just like fire right. off a nine win season. <laughs> give me five. Give me five wins. Yeah, I don't give a damn. A bowl game would be yeah. Oh, six, bowl, six, six six wins with just like an electric offense and a defense that just you know functions. And this uh, and, and I, I still will say for USF, I'd rather be. I don't want to say I'd rather be because you you want the money at the end of the day, you want the TV money and that's what that is. But like, do you really want to be doing all these cross country trips? Like be here, fix your, fix yourself as a program, fix yourself what you want to be, and then try to just parlay that into something bigger and better. But now you're in this conference. You, there are some people who don't think that, that they're their peers, but you have to look at the record and say, Hey, let, let's fix it here. And then we can figure out what ends, ends up happening next. But you know, you're trying to make yourself as, like you said, as pretty as possible. And I frankly think they're doing the right thing with how everything yeah. changes within six months, it seems. And, and yeah. who says that, like, once there is the big split, that the television deal for the best conference in tier two is not better than what the AAC gets right now? Yeah. Like, if that, it's not like the AAC is just, you're just rolling in television cash. You know, it's, yeah, it's fine, but it's not like, under, eight, I think. yeah, it's not unbelievable. You know what I mean? So if, if if that's your, you know, I don't think they're like, well, we're just, I, I wouldn't imagine their plan is like, and we're going to get $30 million from the ACC. Like that's already in, like, I think they would have to plan this thing out as if nothing changes, which, okay. The AAC is not getting a ton of money. If, if the top 60 break off, well, they'll probably have a really, you know, the television deal will probably be between two networks. Okay. Well, where's everybody else going to get content from? All right. Well, what's the best, what's the next best conference that might be the one you're in. So I I think, uh, I think revenue will be there regardless what happens, but yeah, you want to make yourself look as good as possible for when I think this next big split happens. There's also so much money going around that you're getting these $30 million deals. Texas is redoing their entire locker room again, and they just redid it five years ago. It's like, they're just trying to figure out a way to spend the money because you're not paying the players as of right now. So it's just, like at some point, there's only only so many facilities upgrades you can do before you're just trying to figure out. Okay, I guess we're gonna put TVs in everyone's lockers or um, giant water slide. Like, I don't know these TV. The, uh, the the whole thing, and we'll get to another national one. But the whole thing with the, what what TV is spending their money on is just incredible to me. And I did not expect this to, entire thing to happen uh, in the way that the, in the way that it did. But yeah, you're right. I mean, at some point, it's going to be like the NFL where your top conference, your two divisions or whatever, your two conferences, you're going to have to be under the same umbrella because you can't, you can't split your, uh, you can't split your complete revenue across all these different TV networks. If you're saying that we're the top dog, we're the ones that are, um, you know, players or employees or whatever. And it's like, imagine like if the NFC East could like independently negotiate their TV contract, like that's just wild to me. Mm-hmm. Stupid. And yeah. I want to I want to close it on this. If uh, we don't know where USF is getting the money for the on-campus stadium, I have no clue where TV networks are getting this money to pay these schools. There's there's no way on screener that like every single one of these schools is going to get a full share at the end of the day. When most of what we know is that cable is dying, streaming is not taking off. You know, there's a lot of hedged bets on all of this stuff. How are they getting this money? It does not exist. 
This is like Colorado Colorado getting up there. (laughs) This is like Colorado getting saying, like, how are you going to pay Deion Sanders? That's the neat part. You don't. We'll we'll figure it out. Uh, There's going to be so much litigation. Yes. And with that, we're out. We're going to try to keep it it nice and tight this year for – for you guys, because we're going to try to create as much content as possible. Be sure to – we're about to record a new episode of the Blog Boy Roundtable after this. Be sure to check that out. Uh, we'll have um, – We're going to have Sean on for an exclusive recruiting pod this week for only Patreon members. So if you want to get kind of the state of recruiting where it's going with somebody that's super plugged in, we'll have Sean on. You see him on Twitter and in the Discord, always giving good information. Um and then if we're talking realignment, a uh, new piece on Substack. Substack, just for a reminder, it is free. Mm-hmm. If you want to give us money, like a tip, you can pledge money, but it is free. Uh, we appreciate your patronage and <laughs> everything you want that a you subscription, Patreon. But, yes. Uh, but yeah, so we, we'll have we'll, some more good stuff coming out this week. We'll absolutely take your money, though, but if it's... Yeah. If you're trying to pay for the Substack, that is free. Don't do that. If you just want to give us your money... That is perfectly a okay by us. Um, so, Substack Patreon, we have a link tree set up uh, that Vito did. Um, it's on our Twitter. Uh, so, there we go. Uh, with that, thanks, boys, for joining us. This has been another episode of Pod by the Bay. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls.